This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. You can help us to level up by supporting this podcast. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm and search for Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting and then hit the button that actually says support this podcast. I want you to go there now. Go, 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 go. And thank you ahead of time. Parenting Magazine, the podcast talk show for parents. I'm Janice Robinson Celeste, your host and publisher of Successful Black Parenting Magazine. I want you to go and tell all of your friends and your followers about the show. So go to our Facebook page for Successful Black Parenting and share the link with your followers right now. Let people know you are joining us. Even better, you can click the options and start a watch party. We really, really, really like watch parties. In addition, you can comment on Facebook and I will post the best comments live on air. And know that it can take a while for your questions to populate in the backstage area. So ask any questions early. Don't wait. Our, ta- our hashtag for the show is hashtag backtalk. So make sure you use that. Now, you see this handsome gentleman over here. This is my special guest today. He is Dr. Donald Easton Brooks. And he is the Dean of the College of Education at the University of Nevada. Reno and the author of Ethnic Matching, The Academic Success of Students of Color. Now, Dr. Easton Brooks and his work has appeared in parenting magazines, on radio talk shows, television, and other media outlets. His goal is through policies and practice to create equitable educational opportunities for all students. And we're happy to have him here. So welcome, Dr. Easton Brooks. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So what is ethnic matching. Tell our audience all about that. So what happened is that I was really trying to look at research that will show us what are some positive things that are happening in schools uh, for students of color and particularly for African-American students or black students. And so I started thinking about what are some of the factors that I understood growing up uh, that kind of helped me along as I grew up in Houston, Texas. And one of the things I came to was that I had a lot of black teachers. And so I was wondering, is that something that makes a difference? And so I started looking at research on if students of color, particularly of black students, had a black teacher, would that make a difference in our academic success? And so ethnic matching is basically that if a a student of a a particular race has a teacher of the same race, could that uh, affect the student's academic success as they go through school? And what did you find? (laughs) That it it, it indeed was the case. So as students started kindergarten, their math and reading scores were higher if they had a Black teacher than those Black students who did not have a Black teacher, significantly higher. And then as they went from kindergarten through fifth grade, if they had at least one Black teacher throughout that experience, what happened is that their growth in reading and math increased significantly compared to those kids who did not have a black teacher during that same time frame. That is 
pretty much impressive, but kind of I felt it in my heart knowing that my experiences with black uh, teachers and being a black teacher myself, um, you know, we it's, it's different. It's a special type of relationship because we understand the children and we understand where they're coming from. And um, we also protect them. I find that, you know, in addition to that, um, I just saw a study that said that even um, children who are white actually do well under black teachers too. Do you know anything about that? That's, that hit me this week. I was like, wow, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> right. And it was a, a research that I, I can't remember the gentleman they had at the University of New York that looked at that study as well and found that black students actually, I mean, white students actually prefer a black teacher. That's and I think the thing that happens is that it gets to the notion of relational. So what I've found that happens um, in education is that teachers of color typically go into teaching because of a civic reason, because of wanting to be more relational with students. And they see it from that, that angle. And it's not suggesting that all white teachers are not that way, but black teachers and teachers who come from this kind of connective storytelling type of framework tend to be more engaged in that way. And so there's a, re a relative, I mean, a relational piece of this that's critically important. I think about my son who um, in second grade, up until that point had white teachers and he had a black teacher. And this son was one that could be challenging. And I would always say to the teachers, do not give him a second chance. You give him a second chance, he's gonna push you until you break. And so when he had his first black teacher, I didn't have to say anything. She didn't give him a second chance. And she called me in one time on a meeting, a, a parent teacher meeting, and she led the conversation and she let him know the expectations. And those expectations were something he could resonate with because they were very much like home culture. And so it made it very easy for her to really have that kind of relational relationship with him because he knew she understood. Right. Now, did you sit back with your arms folded at this meeting? Like, mm-hmm. That's how we tend to do. And he's looking to me to rescue him. And I'm looking at her. Can you come home, please? Right. That's so funny. That's so funny. So in your research, well, let me, let's talk about your book for a minute. Cause I'm going to, we're going to talk about this. Let me just pull up the book so you guys can see what it looks like. And it is available on amazon.com. I got to do this little box here. Um, let's do it like this. So we can see it. Um, and it is available on amazon.com ethnic matching academic success of students of color. Now tell us a little bit about the book. And right. so what made you look into this? Right. Uh, topic, first of all. Let's go with that. All right, so like I said before, so the reason I looked into it, because I wanted to really find out uh, what was working for students of color. Mm -hmm. what, what were some factors that would really help us understand what makes students of color successful? And a lot of the research we have out really compares students of color with white students. And there are a lot of reasons why that doesn't work. And the big reason is that you're trying to develop a set of matrix that's meant for one cultural group or ethnic group and measure another ethnic group with that same matrix. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really pan out or work. Me at 6'1", and if I say that the standard for height is 6'1", that means that everybody uh, for tallness is 6'1". That's a measure that's relative to me. But if I go to another country, the tallness, the height, I mean, the, the measure for tallness could be 6'6", could be something mm -hmm. different. And so I wanted to look at some factors that were specifically related to to black students and what made them successful. And so when I came across this, uh, this notion that this was happening, 
it brought me to another level of thinking, so why does this happen? We can say it's relational. We're thinking about the relational piece of this. We're thinking about that sense of belonging in which you see yourself um, engaging with other people. And I'm doing some follow-up studies with that with a colleague, um, Mimi Young. She's a, 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 a faculty at, at another university, sorry. And when thinking about that, I really wanted to find out what gets students to that place. And what I found was that teachers of uh, color and especially black and Latinx teachers are much more into intentional culture responsive practice, meaning they look at the background of students as they're in the classroom. They really focus on those things outside of the classroom that teachers bring to the table to help make instruction more understanding and more meaningful. We're storytellers. We are people that really want to engage in how this information connects to the content. And so I found that to be the case. And I found out that even in this, if white teachers were engaged in a school with at least 30% of the teaching population were of color, they tend to do a better job of responding to students from a culturally responsive lens than if they're not in a school with at least 30% of the teachers of a color. And that is really deep um, because, you know, like I said, I have experience in, in working in just the opposite, mostly all white teachers in, in a school. And a lot of schools around the United States look just like that. It's majority white women that are teaching our children. Um, so why don't we have more black teachers in school, especially black men? I think the number is around 2% nationally. Exactly. And even, you know, even if you think about black teachers as well, I mean, it's just teachers of color, not even just black. We're talking about mm -hmm. the Latinas too. Exactly. So here's mm -hmm. the thing about all that is that right now, 50% of those uh, of the population of 18 and younger in the United States are children of color. 50% of students of color. So we're going to start to see this increase more where our schools are going to be more than half students of color. And so when this happens, we're going to see this phenomenon of more students of color in schools. And we're starting to see it in more of our urban communities, but we're also seeing some of our suburban communities starting to become more diverse as well, but they're seeing somewhere between 30 and 60% of that population of color. Our rural communities are starting to be close to 30% students of color. So we're starting to see this shift. So what is happening is that we're, we are actually, we've actually brought in more teachers of color, but we're not retaining them. For instance, over a, a 20 year span, we had an increase of white teachers at a rate of 41% and an increase of teachers of color at 96, I mean, 91%. Mm. But what happened is that teachers of color leave the profession three to four times more than white teachers. And a lot of it has to do with this conflict between why teachers are going into teaching and what um, schooling is about. And the conflict is that schooling has got to the point that it's about test scores. Whereas teachers are trying to look at success and especially color looking at success in different ways. For instance, in my book, teachers of color define success as increasing in, in attendance, increasing in homework, increasing mm -hmm. in um, social emotional development. Some of these intangibles that are, might not be measured on an outcome, but they felt like if these intangibles increase, grades would increase. And so they had a different framework. And so their battle for trying to really be relational uh, come into contrast with test scores. They get frustrated and they leave the field. Also what's happening too is that education as a whole is being 
attacked. And it's being attacked by people outside of the field. And they're putting a negative spin on education, suggesting that teachers are not doing a good job, principals are not doing a good job. And so why would you want to go into the field when you have this much pressure? And we have to really kind of change that paradigm. Now people understand that teachers are very valuable. Teachers are very impactful. And yeah, we have things we need to work on, but for the most part, the narrative that's being painted is not the narrative that's a reality. And so education right now is becoming much more of a moneymaker for some. And that's not where it should be. It should really be about how do we move our populations forward and help kids to reach their potential regardless of what economic uh, background they come from. Oh, I agree. Now, is it does any of this with white teachers have to do with a lot of times white women upheld white supremacy type values and they don't even know it sometimes. Like for instance, um, every time a teacher seems like they try to teach slavery, especially around Black History Month, it's a big fail and yeah. it ends up in the news. So does that have anything to do with part of this, do you think, or did you find any of that in your research? Yeah, you know what I, I did, and what I found you know, really is that one of the things I think that trip white teachers up is that we really push them to be culturally competent, to mm -hmm. to understand other people's ethnicity or race. And that's a challenge. When you think about yeah. us as Black people, there's so many subcultures of Blackness that it's challenging for us to, to know every subculture. And so mm -hmm. when white teachers to do it, they're going to make mistakes because they don't know it from the lens we know it and from the history and the stories. And oftentimes they might say things thinking they know it and they really don't know it. Some of the things that I found in my book is that the way in which, and I call it the intentionality scale, the way in which teachers engage. And I find that a lot, white, a lot of white teachers who are conscious and aware that cultural responsive practice is important. But what happened is that they try to approach it from their lens of whiteness. And that's hard to do because you're saying, if this worked for me in school, then it must work for these kids. And you ignore a big relevant piece of them which is that cultural piece of them, then that disconnect comes into play. I hear stories from my children about, like you said, around slavery and when they bring things up, how uh, mis misleading they are with this. Think about one of my sons in second grade again. He was in school in Minnesota. He came home frightened, nervous, saying, you know, white people are gonna come and hang you. He wanted to close the curtains. He wouldn't go outside for a week because of the way slavery was presented to him as if they're white men that are coming to, to kill all the black men and take babies away. And mm. really kind of missed the point. And we had to really kind of help them dissect this. And at the same time, trying to talk to school about how you're representing this made it very challenging because the teacher couldn't quite get to where the error was, but she was more talking about her intent. The intent is fine, but you still have to get to the point of having that, relation, that conversation from a relational framework. And there's an age appropriateness for teaching that era history as well. Like we, you know, there, there's a way to teach it and be authentic without right. teaching young children about the gore and horrors until they're older to be able to handle it. You know, we're trying to, they're trying to give our kids nightmares and yeah, that wasn't appropriate. <laughs> and so, and I, and I, and I did think there are some, some white teachers. I mean, of course there's a spectrum in everything, but I think for the most part, there are white teachers that, that really want to get it, but they just don't because they themselves are not having relationships outside of the classroom with other cultures and other races. 
So when you think about us as whites, I mean, as blacks, it's not our choice to interact with whites because it's all around us because we are immersed in it. But whites can go in their world and never interact with people of color and have that, that framework. So they need to really interact and engage with people to really get a more authentic understanding of working with students and how to interact. And I think sometimes they feel threatened when they're not able to do that, and then that's when the negativity comes out. Um, another example of this, I remember, again, one of my children, I wrote this in the book, uh, fourth grade in school, and they started talking about immigration. And from immigration, they wanted to do this, this assignment on come to school dressed as your, your ancestors as they came to the United States. And the framework was around Ellis Island. Well, that's a specific population that can do that. Right. About Blacks or Latinx or even Asians from Angel Island. That's a different framework. That's a different mm-hmm. land. Mm-hmm. So my son came home very frustrated saying, well, why don't I just go to school and cut off shorts and chains around my neck with no shirt? That's, that's- Oh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, having a conversation with the school and the teacher, me being a professional doing this work, having a conversation with the school and the teachers, they couldn't quite get it. Their response was, well, this is what we've been doing for the last decade. Well, this is not the best way to approach this. And really trying to get them to understand that this assignment was really very uh, culturally irresponsible. And regardless of the intent, you have to really step back and think about what you're saying to your at that point, small population of color about what it means to come into the U.S. Think about the embarrassment you put other kids in when they can't come to school with that same lens. And how we're getting back to this sense of belonging, they feel like they don't belong because they don't have that similar story or that common story. And so stepping back and thinking about, was it really the assignment that was important? Or what is it that you were trying to get at with immigration that you really want to talk about? It fits up and around that that brings in all cultures and all cultural experiences, good and bad, because it's what we are about in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, how do parents play a role in ethnic matching? What it, what can they do to help, yeah. uh, especially at their schools and, and to, you know, for recruiting on down? What can we do as parents? And I think as parents, the thing we have to do is, is be more engaged, be more involved. Mm-hmm. And with that, kind of help teachers navigate how to work um, how to interact with kids. So if schools are sending home assignments and what's coming up, think about how this might interact and engage with your child and how do you contact a teacher and just kind of give examples of, of things you experience around the same thing. For instance, when we talk about we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, right? Maybe help the teacher understand how at home you celebrate Thanksgiving and what are some of those things around Thanksgiving that's relevant to your family. If you're Louisiana Creole, all right, it's not about a turkey. It's about, you know, boudin, gumbo, etouffee, et cetera, and help them understand those notions of what that's about. Um, someone from a Mexican population or an Asian population might have something different. So find ways to engage and connect. When you're looking at stories kids are reading, try to think about how that might connect with your child. And the thing we have to do, too, is read these stories with their children and help teachers understand how that could be biased. The thing we want to do as well is not react so much emotionally. Yes, it gets emotional. And yes, it gets frustrating. But we have to realize that some of the teachers don't come 
with that experience of working with students of color are people of color and we have to help them understand. And sometimes it's not an intentional way in which student teachers are doing that. So we have to help them understand from a, a rational point of view. And I get it. Sometimes I get emotional. My wife, it's like, let me go talk to the school because. So I get that. And the other part is we have to help educate our kids too on how to have conversations about interacting and engaging when something is culturally challenging or culturally sensitive. And how do we help them maybe bring that home so we can help them talk through it or help them talk through a lens that helps the school to understand what's going on. Right. Um, just recently, within the past few weeks, there was an example of this, basically. And of course, parents got emotional. And, and I think they have a right to be emotional. But like you said, maybe someone else who can handle the conversation. But there was a teacher who gave an assignment um, about slavery and different pictures. And she told the kids to put a funny caption under each one. <laughs> a funny caption yeah. under slave pictures. And of course, you know, she didn't do too well after that because no. the parents all reacted. And as you should, you know, that that's just not appropriate at all. Um, there's a lot of emotions involved with that. These are people's uh, family ancestors. And and so um, <laughs> I well, think one child put down there, oh, you won't have your job soon. Haha. <laughs> but yeah, but go ahead. And, and that's very challenging, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's emotional. So as a parent, this is tough, but as a parent, a way to probably approach that is by asking a teacher, so can you please help me understand the intent of this assignment? Good. And then kind of maybe express, you know, some of the challenges you might see in that assignment from a calm framework, if possible, because you, that's what you really want to do, is try to help this person understand. And hopefully this person can catch what they've done before they get fired. But I have no clue why a teacher would do something like that or what the rationale was about, about that being funny. We're always surprised. I just want to acknowledge uh, Vita's comment. She says she went to Catholic school and she feels that having a black lay teacher in second grade and nuns that kept the students in order and motivated was a beneficial experience for her. So and I know uh, in Catholic school, there's at the time, especially mostly white nuns, because <laughs> rarely ever did you see a black nun, but to have a black lay teacher, I, I know uh, was probably very empowering. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And also uh, Donna also commented and she said, Regardless of the teacher's intent, impact on student definitely matters. Cultural competence and cultural response, culturally responsible, oh, sorry, responsive curriculum and literature is essential by educa educators. And we probably need really someone to come out with either a textbook or a curriculum that we can use nationwide to teach these things appropriately. Yeah, and you know, and we have some of that stuff. And actually, Dr. Ford is a is a professor at the at Ohio State University. She is probably one of the top people in gifted education for black kids, an incredible resource. Um, there's like, for instance, we have um, um, cultural responsive teaching. Dr. Geneva Gay out of University of Washington has a great book on how to teach it from a culturally responsive lens and really lay these things out as well. Um, and uh, Gloria Lanson Billings, uh, Dr. Banks, um, Rich Milton are out at Vanderbilt. They really do a good job of laying these things out. But what's happened and what I found in my research is this. I asked teachers, both white teachers and teachers of color, have you ever taken cultural responsive practice or multicultural education in your, in your prep program? And 
six to 98 percent of these teachers said yes. Um, 98 percent black uh, teachers of color, 96 percent white teachers. Then when I asked them if you use this in practice, the teachers of color, 92 to 96 percent said yes, I use this in practice. White teachers, 75 percent said I use this in practice. Then it gets back to that point of while we have these matrices out there, we need it to be more intentional, more culture responsive. Right now, a lot of teachers take this class and it's part of the curriculum, it's part of an add-on, and they don't think about it from an intentional lens. And then when they get out in the field, they can't do it because they didn't really pay attention to it at the level they needed to pay attention to it. It's almost like the Mike Tyson saying, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then- <laughs> I don't know if I heard that one by Mike, but that's awesome. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're dealing with. And then when I asked, um, I wanted to ask highly professional uh, uh, people of color, people who are, you know, have doctorate degrees, people who are directors, people who have high power positions. I asked about 150. If you had, uh, if you went to public school, and if you went to public school, if you had black teachers, or if you, I mean, a teacher of your same race, versus having a teacher who was white. Then ask them how these teachers engage with them as far as having a curriculum that was rigorous and how they related their culture to the classroom. And what I found was those students of color felt like 90, I can't remember the exact number, but 90 some odd percent of the teachers of color did that compared to 65% of the white teachers that did that. But even more so what I found in the research for this book is that those students of color who had at least four teachers of color had a positive view of white teachers. Those teachers, students of color who had one white teacher or less had 56, I think 56% of them had a positive view of white teachers. And mm -hmm. so the thing that happens is that while we have these matrices, White teachers have to be more engaged in understanding this. And at the same time, we have a problem on the higher ed level that we have not enough professors who are doing this kind of work that are teaching. And so we need universities to really hire more people of color that can really help have this conversation so that we're able to really bring that intentionality to cultural responsive practice in a way we haven't been able to do before. I agree. I've been looking for uh, different PhD programs just in social justice, and there are only a handful uh, that you can actually uh, find. Um, also, I just want to acknowledge Horace's question or statement. He said, I'm a black male. I have taught in higher ed and K through 12. I've benefited from rationality in my educational journey, and I have practiced in my career. I greatly appreciate the suggestions for empowering parents and students. What suggestions do you have for working for systemic changes at district, state, and national levels? That's a loaded question there, <laughs> a lot. And I would say, I think Horace is absolutely right. <laughs> uh, there's a level of reform that's that's needed. And let's just talk just for, for, for Black kids. When you think about all the reform that has happened in our country around the Bilingual Education Act, the number of um, Indian uh, Education Acts, those have really centered around changing curriculums for kids who have a second language or who are native. Never in the history of the United States have we had any educational policy 
that relates to changing curriculum for black students. People want to point to Brown versus Ford. That wasn't a curriculum change. That was more about allowing black kids to have access to schools in a different way. And so we haven't really thought about black kids in that way or thought about the needs of black community in that way. And so we are starving for reform that really focuses on the needs of black kids and what they have. But what happens as a whole is that we have to keep pushing this notion of equity in education and what equity means in education and kind of showing how the systems are not equitable and how we move to a more equitable framework. So I'm hoping that the research in my book kind of helps us understand kind of how systems are really Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.